I love this. But there's nothing in all the world like worship, is there? Nothing. I just, you know, I've been thinking all, all weekend what it's going to be like to be around the throne. I can't fathom that. I love this. That will be so phenomenal. I mean, I don't, how are we going to stand? How are we going to kneel? I'll be laying there going, I love this. It's just going to be great. Well, um, we've been talking about salt and light all year and because that's how Jesus described us. And, and in the last couple of months, we've been talking about living like Jesus, what, what it's like to pay the price to live like Jesus in the world. And tonight, we want to give one of the characteristics that's very evident in the gospel, and that is his investment in other people and, and therefore our investment in other people specifically to expand the kingdom of God. Now, if you uh, want to read this story along with me, I'm going to, I'm going to be just uh, uh, taking a passage in Luke 19. And I'm just going to be kind of lollygagging with it. I, I, I love times when I can just go through a passage and say what comes to mind. And, uh, and this, is one of those, this is one of those things where it's just so full and so rich that, uh, that I can do that. We're going to start in verse 11 where it says this. And while they were listening to these things, he went on to tell a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Now, of course, uh, all Jewish people believe that, that um, the kingdom of God is, gonna, is going to uh, happen in Jerusalem geographically. And, so the, and, and as the fever toward the Messiah uh, pitch uh, kind of grew, as they got near to Jerusalem, everybody was thinking, okay, now, now it's going to happen. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't treat this uh, as a face-to-face conflict, their mistake. What he does, he tells them a story. And I want to tell you why. And I'll, and I'll tell you more in, about this, and, and, and Orlando will do this too. As we become more of the distributed church, we want to bring in uh, notations about how the rest of the world sees things that's different than the Western mentality. The two-thirds world, we, we have, uh, I think, uh, kind of colonialistically or paternalistically called many countries the third world. <laughs> I'm not, that comes from the old capitalist uh, industrialist mentality where we rank according to gross national product or industry advancement or something like that. But, but really, it's the two-thirds world. Uh, there's only about a third of the world that's Western in mentality. And in the two-thirds world, relationships are everything. And you do whatever you can to preserve um, those relationships by not embarrassing people. You know, when Americans have a problem, they just go to the person you know, and, 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 and they say, what's up? You know, we got this problem, fix it. And, 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 and it can be a moment of embarrassment. Well, when that is avoidable in the two-thirds world, that's what you do. And so Jesus didn't, didn't address this problem, this false expectations directly. He didn't say, do you guys not get this yet? Uh, he, he told them a story. Uh, he, he, he knew that, that facing it indirectly would be more effective. So he told them a story, and this was the story. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. Now, this was not at all unusual because a local uh, governor or a local ruler would go to Rome to receive officially the mandate from the official Roman government um, 
the authority to rule that country. And then he'd come back. And when he came back, he had much more authority because he had officially received that. Now, of course, the nobleman here is Jesus, who is saying to them, no, I'm going to go away for a while. Now, I have authority now, but wait till I get to the Father. Wait till I'm resurrected, get to the Father, and then come back. Because when I come back, then it's authority time. So he's, he's, he's saying he's, this nobleman's going to go away for a while. And then, and then look at the next verse. It says, and he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas. Now a mina is a hundred drachmas. A drachma is basically a, uh, the wage of a day. So this is, this is different from um, Matthew 25, what ha- which has a parallel parable where the, the master or the ruler goes away and he, first of all, he gives them a huge amount of money. And Matthew 25 gives them a talent. That's like 50,000 bucks. I mean, that's a huge amount of money. Um, and in and, and Matthew 25, he distributes those resources proportionate to the giftedness of the individuals. Here, he gives them all the same. And he gives them about three months of wages. Not a lot, but enough to invest. And everybody starts out the same. And he says this, do business with this until I come back. Now, in many of your scriptures, it says occupy until I return. And 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 I've heard a misunderstanding from Christians about this term occupy. They have taken this in the sense of some sort of political domination as, as the authority from the Lord to somehow exercise dominion over others. That's not what this word means. In Greek, the word is, and I'm, I'll, I'll murder it as I do all my Greek words, uh, but, but the Greek, uh, Greek word is pragmasuste. Uh, uh, and, and, and we get the word pragmatic from it. it. It simply means be industrious, do business, um, 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 uh, work with others to see what you can what you can come up with, how you can multiply what I've given you. That's all it means. And so he's saying, this is, what I, this is the test here. And then has a very curious verse. Verse 14 says, But the citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. <laughs> um, and, and now this, this is symbolic of the non-believers. And, and, and it's in this entire parable, the non-believers are given exactly two lines. Verse 14, verse 27. Verse 14 says they don't believe. Verse 27 says they die. I mean, so it's pretty short, you know. That's pretty much the story of non-believers. You don't believe and then you die, you know. And so we're going to spend a lot of time there. Uh, this is for believers, and so uh, we'll just kind of throw that one out. Um, uh, be, because if, if, if the believers take this right, they'll have a heart for non-believers. Uh, so this, but this has to come first. This teaching has to come first. Now, let's just take this section and let's, uh, let's see kind of what has happened here. Jesus has said, there's a plan here. The kingdom of God's not going to come in its fullness right away. There's going to be a period where it's going to seem like I've gone. It's going to seem like I'm away and it's going to seem like you're on your own. Now, I know many Christians who say, so when's it coming back? What's up? been a long time. And, and sometimes I feel like that. And, 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 and you might say, why would he just take off and, and spend so long away? Well, I have no idea. I really don't know. But I do know this. 
I do know that it's a test. And I know from this parable what the test is. The test is, in his absence, when you feel like he's gone, will you maintain the perspective to do his business or will you go about the world's business? Will you, when you feel like he is most absent in your life, still do what you believe he would have you do for him? Or will you take a look at the world and say, well, you know what? The world's kind of operating like this, so I, just, I ought to just kind of fall in line here. It's a test. There was a, there was a story I heard once about two uh, boys, brothers, playing out in their yard all day long. They were about the same age, and they, you know how boys are. They can do anything. They, they were playing fort, and they were climbing trees. And, and, and they started there in the early morning, and they, they went all the way till the late afternoon. When they, went hungry, when they got hungry, they'd run in for something, but they'd come out and start playing again. And in the very late afternoon, one of the brothers looked up in the sky, and he saw where the sun was. And he said to his brother, he said, Man, do you see how far that sun has moved? I mean, when we started playing, the sun was over there, and the sun has moved all the way over there. And the other brother looked up and said, yeah. He said, but you know, our father says that it's not the sun that's moving. It's us. We're actually the ones that are revolving around the sun. And the kid looked up. And he looked at the ground. And he'd been standing there all day. He hadn't moved any. The yard was still there. It was, it was very plainly in his sight the sun that had moved. And he looked at his brother and he said, look, I believe what I see. And the other brother said, well, I believe our father. Now, the question is this. When you operate in the world and it seems like God is gone, are you going to believe what you see or are you going to believe the father? When you look in the world and, and it looks like the way to get ahead is to cheat and lie and steal. The way to, the, the, that, that the wicked prosper. And so, you know, you want to do what's right for the Lord, but, you know, you've got you to get power in the world's way. And, 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 and so, you're, you know, you just kind of go for that. Or are you, are you going to say, even when you feel like God is gone, are you going to remember the words of Jesus say, that says, no, serve. Just serve. That's the test. And so, Jesus returns. It says, in uh, verse 15. And it came about that when he had returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given money be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. Now, this very plainly needs to be said periodically because we need to be reminded of this. We will all be held accountable for how we spent the resources God has given us in this life. Now, if you're a Christian... There are two judgments. The first one is the judgment for sin. If you are a Christian, if you have said to God, God, I realize I can't pay for my sins. There's nothing I can do. I can't be good because I owe you my goodness already. I realize the only way I can be forgiven of my sins and, and there be justice in this world is to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that's paid for my sins just as a gift. And so I accept that. Jesus, come into my heart, make of my life whatever you want. Thank you for paying for my sins. If you have done that, you will not go through the first judgment because there's, there's no sin to judge. It's gone. It's paid for. See ya. But all of us will go through the second judgment. And the second judgment is this. What have you done while you were on earth? 
What did you do with what I gave you? And what did you do in ways that would make a difference specifically in the kingdom sense, in the resources I gave you to work for me, for the kingdom? Do we all want to be good people? Of course we do. We want to be nice? Of course we do. We want to add to our community? Of course we do. But there's something specific we're going to answer for. Now read on with me. It says that there were really two types of people. The first type of person really looked forward to the judgment. It says in verse 16, the first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. Be in authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, your mina master has made five minas. And he said to him also, you are to be over five cities. Now let's, let's just stop right there. And let me, let me, let me talk to you because there are several points I want to bring out. First of all, we need to understand that the servants that came to him were not bragging about what they had done. Look at the wording there. They don't even claim ownership of the minas, nor do they claim that it's because of their abilities that this has happened. Master, your mina has made ten minas. You see that? Now again, this is the characteristic of the third world. If this was America, <laughs> you know, somebody, you know, we'd, we'd go, hey, you know that money you gave me? I made ten times the money. What up with that? We'd say, do I get a bonus or what? Huh? Pin a rose on me. We'd be so proud. But this is the humble approach of the two-thirds world that doesn't want to take credit and just wants, wants for God to know that there's been a, a, an increase in his investment. That's a wonderful thing. Secondly, I want you to notice the excitement that must have been with them when they realized they were going to get to tell the master what had happened with that investment. You know, there are really, as I said, a couple of types of people in the world. The first type is the person who's afraid of what he's going to lose. Now, we're going to, cut, we're going to talk to him in, about him in a little bit. But the second is really has a little bit more adventure to him. And they realize, along with Jesus, that the money's not the main thing. See, to Jesus, money's just a tool. It's just a tool. It's important tool, but it's just a tool. And he says, because you've been faithful over a little, I'm going to give you authority over ten cities. Now, I want to tell you that the reward, then, for the faithfulness, for the constructive activity, for the hard work, the reward is not money. It's not more money, because that, that, that's just a thing. The reward is authority. It is the responsibility to have a tremendous influence in other people's lives. And that authority comes from two places. First of all, if you are a hard worker, if you do business, if you are disciplined, if you have goals, you will have an attraction to the people around you because people love purpose. People love to see people who have a goal, who know what they're doing, and that is true for Christians. People love to see people with faith to work for their God. I mean, just absolutely love it. So in the midst of a world that kind of is trying to get by with the least possible 
so that they can get the most possible, you'll stand out like a well thumb. And there will be always people who say, you know, I admire that. I, I want to be more like them. I want to be around them. There's one source of authority. But the other, other source of authority comes from this. That God grants you authority and responsibility because of what you have learned in the process. When he put him over ten cities, it's because in this process he had learned faithfulness and consistency and responsibility. And so therefore he put them in, in, in a much broader responsibility. When Yo says to you, I'd love to see you guys come to Namibia. Or when Yo says to you, you know, if you've been here more than five years, you shouldn't even be here. What he is saying is this. That may have shocked you. If you were listening, it did. But here's what he's saying. You don't understand how much you know. You don't understand that I know everybody who comes in here and who listens to these messages feels like, well, you know, there's so many people who know the Bible so much more than I do, so much better than I do. There are so many people who, who know theology so much better. Than, who am I to teach somebody? I tell you who you are. If you've been here for a number of years, you know more accurately who God is. You can understand that Bible better than 90 to 95% of the world. I mean, you are, you are in the top trained qualified leadership in the world and you just don't understand it because you're comparing yourself to other people instead of understanding what God has put into you through your faithfulness. And so therefore, God says to you, you are a leader and I want you to take leadership. And whether it's at the mall or it's in Namibia, I want you to see yourself as having authority from me. Now, let me tell you how you got there. Because <clears throat> the other type of person that, 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 that is uh, 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 the, the, the uh, kind of the looking forward to um, is the type of person that doesn't fear losing what he has. He fears only what he might miss that he or she could have done or could have been. You see... The sign of healthy growth is always kind of a fear of what you might miss if you don't take the opportunity. <laughs> it, it, it is, it is uh, um, an understanding of the profound opportunity that you have to look back over your life and to say, I did this right. And if I live forever, and I will, I'll never regret how I spent my life. You know, when we're growing up, we have these little fears. But, but, but they're, they're fears that, that, that show how, what we hope we can accomplish, not fears of what we're going to lose. As a matter of fact, uh, um, Josh, my oldest, and I uh, went to road up to see a friend of ours who happens to be in prison um, uh, Friday. And so we had a lot of time to talk. And Josh is 23 years old. And, and uh, so we were talking about people in his age category. And, and we were talking about the differences between men and women, which is kind of fun always to talk about. And, uh, <clears throat> and he was saying, he was saying, uh, you know, what is, what is strange to me about women that, that, that never occurred to me as a man? He said, when, when the thing I've noticed about, about girls when they, eat, like when they reach the age 15 to like 30, they have a constant fear, evidently, 
if they're single, that they're never going to find the right guy to marry. So there's a constant fear. He said, as a guy, that never occurred to me. Never thought about it. And I said, do you remember the fear that you had as a young boy? That every boy has as a young boy? He said, no, what? And I said, see if this is not true. I'm giving away secrets here. These are trade secrets, women. <clears throat> Boys, when they're about 10, 11 years old, and all of their friends start to hit puberty, they start to worry that they will be the only one that doesn't hit puberty all their lives. <laughs> it's true. It really is. They say, oh, I know what's going to happen to me. But the point is, the point is that you worry about what might not happen, not what you're going to lose. Why was it that a, that a 77-year-old guy went up into space? Now, now think about this for a minute. Just a minute. Here's a 77-year-old guy who had everything to lose. I mean, he'd done it all in his life, hadn't he? Not according to him. He didn't want to get to be 78 and look back and say, I could have ridden in space again. I didn't do it. He had that perspective. You see, the older you get, I can testify to this. The more you start to understand life as what you might have been, what you might have done if you just had the courage. If you just didn't care. See, the thing that people, people who are good with money have one common, common characteristic. They don't care about money. Money's not the thing with them. Because if they cared about it, they wouldn't invest it. They'd never let it go. There are people who care about money. They're called misers. And they, and they never learn the difference between stewardship and stinginess. They, they, they accumulate. And they're so afraid they're going to they're gonna let go. But, but you can't get rich like that. I mean, you can get moderately independent, but you can't get rich. The only way you can get rich is to let it go. Say, well, may lose it, but who cares? It's the game that counts. It's, the, it's, the, it's kind of like monopoly money. I, I don't know very many un successful entrepreneurs that set up nights worrying about whether or not they're going to lose their money. They, they worry about whether or not it's going to go, you know? What, what, what's going to develop there? And it's just kind of fun. It's kinda, you can just kind of get juiced. So, so there's this sense in which there's, it's this great adventure. And if Christ comes to us and he says to us, hey, did you do anything with what I gave you for the kingdom? We're saying, come on. <laughs> this is great. It's, it's, I, I was thinking yesterday when John Glenn came back. <clears throat> First of all, I'll never get used to that sonic boom thing. I, I've lived, with it, I've lived in, in Florida 13 years now, and it scares the bejeebers out of me every time. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm running, you know, I, I, I ran, and then I came back to the pool, and I was just kind of laying out, just kind of dozing off, and it goes, boom, and I go, yeah, I just came up, I go, this is the big one. I thought somebody's bombing America. <clears throat> but, but anyhow, um, so everybody's, you know, they're all glad. Here comes John Glenn. This is so cool. This is so cool. But when Jesus, I, I started to think, if Jesus was on that ship coming down, and saying, okay, time for accounting. I wondered if it would be as much. I mean, with John Glenn, it's like, it's like you know, uh, oh, somebody sent me a cute, I love this email. Somebody sent me a cute email. Did you get this? It, it, it was, it was, <laughs> it, it read just, shh, this is a secret. Just before John Glenn lands, everybody put on an ape suit. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you young guys, it's, it's Planet of the Apes movie. It's a, you know. <laughs> but when Jesus comes back, it's not like, joke's on you. I mean, it's, it's, 
It's a very serious thing. And so you got, you got to say, how can I get ready for this? How can I get ready? And the idea is, man, you just invest it. You invest what he's given you in the kingdom to see the difference you can make for eternity. That's great. That's, that's, and you, you don't hoard it. You don't try to protect it. You say, man, how can I give my life to make a difference for Jesus Christ? But then there is the alternative. And this is the temptation most of us have. Read this with me. Verse 20, it says, And another came, saying, Master, behold your mina, which I put away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you. Now, first thing I want to point out is how fast he worked himself into this conversation. The other two didn't even mention themselves. They just, they just, they just kind of said, hey, this is, look what you got here. But this guy mentions himself first thing. And he mentions his fear and his fear of losing. Now, one of the things we learn of him is what fear does to a person. Fear will always make you misjudge somebody. Because the person he describes here is not the person we know as Jesus Christ. Listen to how he describes him. He says, Because you are an exacting man, you take up what you did not lay down, and you reap what you did not sow. Does that sound like Jesus Christ to you? No. No, his fear made him misjudge somebody else. There's a lesson there too. How often do we not know people? And we start to estimate who they are and our fear takes over and we paint them who they are not because of our fear. That happens again and again and again. Why are we afraid? Many times we're afraid because we know we haven't done what we needed to do. Many times our fear comes out of this kind of long, this, this guilt thing. Where, where we know we didn't carry through with what God wanted us to do, what we did instead is substitute, substitute what we thought God would want and hope that's what God would want. And we did it because basically we were being lazy. I mean, look at, look at the words here. I, put, I kept it in a handkerchief. Now, we know from this that this guy's planning on being lazy. Look what Jesus says. He says, he says, by your own words, I will judge you. That's not who I am, but hey, if that's who you say I am, then that's how it's going to get carried out. Did you know that I'm an exacting man taking up what I did not lay down, reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put the money in the bank and have, having come, I would have collected it with interest? This guy's too lazy to take the money to a bank. And we know he's lazy because where has he stored it? He stored it in a handkerchief. You know what handkerchiefs were used for back then? Same thing they are now. They were used mostly to wipe away the sweat as you worked. Now, if you're going to use a handkerchief to wipe away your sweat, are you going to put a coin in there? Mm -mm. Why? It had hurt. It had hurt. He was planning on not sweating. He was planning on not working. He was planning on just taking that little thing God had given him and keeping it, give it back to God, but not having it interrupt his life at all. Now, this is also a great temptation of ours. You see, to be industrious for the kingdom really takes a lot of effort. To do what God wants us to do really takes a lot of effort. It's a lot of fun, but it takes a lot of effort, a lot of work. 
And wouldn't, don't we have the temptation to kind of substitute what we want to do and hope that's, hope that's what God wants? Let me, let me just give you a personal example. I preach or teach about 15 times a week. Seven of those times are in a sermon, so that's one, that's one message. The other eight are independent messages that really don't match each other. So that means I have to come up with nine messages a week. Do you, do you know how many books and magazines and commentaries I have, to, I have to read to come up with nine messages a week, especially because I've never had an original thought in my life? <laughs> I mean, it's a volume of material. But most of my time is spent in prayer saying this, Lord, don't let me just use what I've read. Help me to keep at it until what I've read illustrates what you want to say. Because the giant temptation is to say, well, since I've done this, maybe this is what God ought to say. Since I've done this, maybe this is what I ought to make Jesus want to say. And just cut off the effort because I'm tired and not go through with the effort. You see, that's a reversal. That's a reversal. Let me give you another example. This week I, I took off for a prayer retreat uh, to um, um, uh, Daytona Beach. Because I have these every once in a while I have to get away just to concentrate and not talk to anybody for three days and just pray. And, and, and I was thinking of the, uh, the philosophy. I was, I was doing a philosophy uh, for the distributed church. And so uh, whenever I do that, Beck just gets me a room someplace. And, and it's right on the ocean uh, because that's where God is. And, uh, yeah, if you, ever, if you ever, you know, have lost God, he's at the beach. It's just, that's where I, that's where I go. That's where I hang out. So I'm, so I'm, so I'm you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, Type it. I go, oh, ocean's coming in, you know, type it away, you know, and it's storming. Oh, I love storms. Here comes the ocean. Oh, man. And I'm typing away and I'm talking to God whenever, whenever I pray and I'm alone. I just talk with God. I mean, I just talk out loud and I'm asking him questions out loud and I'm talking out loud. So and I'm typing what I'm thinking I'm hearing and, and so on and so forth. Well, it comes out one night and I haven't talked to anybody for a couple of days and, and, and I get hungry one night. This, this is not a prayer and fasting retreat. This is a prayer retreat. So, <laughs> so I want to go get a sandwich. So I, I you know, it's storming and I saw, so I get my little umbrella and I'm going to walk uh, up and down the, the, the deal there until I find a little hamburger joint. And so, so I'm walking along. It's raining, you know. I got these old jeans on, these raggedy old things, you know. And and uh, and, uh, and and I got the pants legs rolled up on the inside. This will come as a shock to you. They don't sell pants in my leg length. <clears throat> I know you're shocked by that. Unless, of course, my waist was 12, and but but it's not. So every time, I, every time I buy pants, it's like I'm, I'm like geometrically insulted, you know. And so I'm, I, mean, I got these old ratty jeans. I kind of look like a bum. I got, I got these old ratty jeans, uh, and, and, they're, and they're rolled up on the inside, and I'm, I'm walking along, and it's raining, you know. And, and I feel something on my leg, you know, and, and, just, and it's just, it just feels awful. And I'm going, have you ever felt something on your leg? You really didn't want to check it out, you know. And so... But I thought, well, I got, so I do the, I, you know, I get the umbrella, you know, and I go down and I'm kind of frisking my leg here. And, and well, what has happened is just the thing started rolling uh, down on the inside. And so, and I'm, and I'm, I'm saying, you know, don't be rolling down. It feels terrible. Stay up. You got to stay up. The weather's, and then I stop and I think I'm talking to my pants. (laughs) 
I came over to talk to God. I'm talking to my pants. And then I think to myself, what could be more stupid than talking to your pants? And the answer to that is listening to your pants. Now, you may think that's impossible, but stick with me just one more second, if you would, please. In the last six months, I've talked to many people here who, you know, are just doing stuff just plain wrong, just plain wrong. And they, they, you know, in their common sense, they just know it was wrong. But when I say, you know what, that's, you know, that's wrong. They say stuff like this to me. They say stuff like, well, I know it's wrong for most people. But you know what? I'm a Christian. I've prayed about this. And, and, and you know, I feel a peace about this. And, and I feel like God is saying that, you know, in your case, I understand your circumstances and, and it's okay. I want to say this to you. You're not listening to God. You're listening to your pants. <laughs> it's very important that you tell the difference here. If it's God talking to you, you'll find it in Scripture. If it's your pants talking to you, it's going to be, what fits you? Is this comfortable? You know? So the point is that we have this tendency, we have this temptation to want God to approve of what's most convenient for us. The last servant was listening to his pants and he was hoping that it would pass God's inspection. And he was hoping that in the end that God would say, well, you know, that's all I really expected. Turn with me back to the passage and find out what really happened. Verse 24, and he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. By the way, I know this doesn't seem fair, and it didn't even seem fair back then. Verse 25 said, and they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. God starts us off in equal footing. He counts all of our faithfulness with equal relish. But he does reward those that are successful. That's where, where rewards go. So he says, give it to the one who already has the ten minas. And then he says this, I tell you that to everyone who has shall more be given but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. This is the story of our efforts of life. God has given you certain things to use for the expansion of his kingdom. And we are accountable for that. That's the genius of the tithe, by the way. Are we to use all of our money in ways that honor God? Of course we are. But there's a certain section of our money that we don't touch because that's God's. And we want to see what he's going to do with that in the kingdom. Or an offering that God's told you to give. That's God's. That's not ours. We don't touch it. We would never call it ours. That's your money. These are your minus. And I'm just going to watch you multiply them for the good of the kingdom. That's the genius of spiritual gifts. God has wired every one of you with a spiritual gift, at least one spiritual gift that he has given you specifically for the big building up of the kingdom, for the building up of the body in ministry. And someday you're going to face him and he's going to look at you and he say, I know you, I, I wired you. I wired you to be a prophet. Hey, 
Who did you tell the truth to? How often did you tell it, no matter what? Some of you is going to say, I know you. I, I, I remember wiring you with the gift of mercy. I gave you a heart as big as anybody's. How many times a day did you sit down and have compassion for somebody? That was your gift. How many times did you use it? And how many times did you indicate that that wasn't your love, that was my love coming through you? I, I remember you. I wired you as a servant. How many times did you serve somebody? How many times did you serve somebody? Because, you know what? I was serving them through you. How many times did you indicate that was me? Because that's why I gave it to you. To use for the building up of the kingdom. I remember hearing a story one time about a little boy who was hearing his father pray. His father was very well to do. And he heard his father pray for the poor. And when his father looked up, his little boy was just looking right at him. And he looked in his little boy's face and said, what are you looking at? Little boy said, you. The father says, what are you thinking? He said, I'm thinking I wish you, I had your money. And the father says, why do you wish you had my money? And the little boy said, because if I had your money, I'd answer your prayers. God has given us what is needed to build the kingdom on earth. And someday we can be excited to see him and to say, Look what happened with what you gave me. Look what happened. Look how it multiplied. Look at the difference in eternity. Or we can look back over our lives. Now, it doesn't say this servant went to hell. He was still a servant. But it says what he had was taken away. Here's how we need to see things. When you get to heaven, you will love it in heaven. And you will, you will worship with everyone. But when you look back over your life, will you have just a little bit of regret that you didn't do more with your life to build up the kingdom of God? Or will you say, man, I'm glad I spent my life like that. I'm glad I spent my life like that. It's not too late. You can start now. Pray with me. God, thanks for entrusting to us what is yours and meant to build up your resources. Thank you that you have given us all that we need for a happy and prosperous and wonderful life. Thank you that you've given us the family and the relationships you've given us. Thank you for making us want to be good people and good neighbors and nice and add to our community. Thank you for all of that. But God, help us to be like that servant those servants who came to you and say, oh God, look what happened with what you gave me. Look at how your kingdom was built. Thank you, Lord, that you have also given us, given us the warning of the lazy servant who just kept the little bit of faith that you gave him unused, hoping that was good enough. Lord, help us to be more like the first two. Take my voice and let me sing Always only for my King Take my moments and my days
flowing ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Would you stand and sing with us? Take my silver and my gold, not a might would I withhold. Take my intellect and use, every power as thou shalt choose. Every prayer team please come forward let me invite any of you first of all if any of you are in here and are still citizens the ones saying we don't want this man to rule over us but tonight you've changed your mind you've understood that there is an eternity and that there there is an accountability and you understand there is a judgment and you want to bypass the judgment for sin. As a matter of fact, you want to start getting ready for the judgment of works. Tonight, you can become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. They can lead you to the throne and you can know for sure that you're going to live forever in heaven with Christ and experience the wonders of his love for an eternity. There are some of you, though, who are already citizens of the kingdom. And Tonight, the Spirit of God just confronted you. And, and, and basically, he said, you know what? You're not using what I gave you for eternal purposes. You need to use it for eternal purposes. You need to build up the kingdom. And you're a little bit afraid, or you need somebody to say, yeah, you can do this. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to pray with you. And I realize that there are others in here who came in with a burden that is hurting so much right now, you probably haven't heard a word I said all night long. I want to tell you that's okay. I know the nature of pain. And the nature of pain is to be so consuming of all your attention, you can hardly operate in any other area. But I want you to know the God of this universe is the solution to that problem, whatever it is. And I want you to know that they can pray that he will intervene and he will. And if you're a believer, they will remind you of Romans 8:28, that all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So God has a good purpose for that pain. And he's going to bring it out to be a wonderful thing. You just need somebody else to hear say that. For the rest of us as we leave tonight, let's go out with this thought in mind. 
this week, I'm going to do something that makes a difference in eternity. I'm going to find some way to just at least mention Jesus Christ. Go fishing. <laughs> I'm going to find some way to give and give the credit to God. I'm going to, give, I'm going to find some way specifically to build up the kingdom. Let's go and do that. Amen.